Welcome to Farm Walks Podcast, a personal glimpse into farming in the UK. My name's Ben Raskin, Head of Horticulture at the Soil Association, and in my more than two decades working in farming, I've visited hundreds of farms around the UK and witnessed firsthand the skill, experience and passion. And I thought, well, why should I be the only lucky one? So I wanted to share their stories with you. In the first in our Farm Walk series, we're visiting John Pawsey, a farmer in Suffolk. John used to call himself an arable farmer, but things are changing on his farm. Today we're at Shimpling Park Farm in Shimpling, or one of two Shimplings we noticed, which must get rather confusing. Yes, there's one near, on the way up to Dis. We have had to direct lorry drivers back from Dis. I can imagine. It's not terribly popular. And I'm with John Pawsey, uh, an arable farmer with sheep. How do yep. you describe yourself? Well, do you know, I'm getting used to saying mixed farmer. Okay. But I've been saying arable farmer for, for a long time. When I came back to the farm in, in 1985, uh, I've been an arable farmer ever since uh, about, you know, t- until about two, three years ago. And so, um, but I'm getting used to saying mixed farmer. <laughs> it sounds much more exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, so this is the farm you were brought up on, is it family farm? It is, yes. I mean, this, this farm actually we're, we're on today at Shimpling Park Farm. We, we, we bought that in 1990, but it adjoins the, the main farm where uh, my grandparents lived and before that it was my great-grandfather. And they were um, Scots who came down from Ayrshire in about the 1880s. So uh, we've, still, we've been here for over 100 years, but we're still classed as uh, incomers <laughs> by other farmers locally who've been here for over so this is a family farm. Yeah. Well, no. When I say it sounds r- rather grounded that I, I came back to it. Actually, I just came back from college. Right. And okay. Then from, <laughs> from travelling, and uh, yeah, so I came back. But I came back at quite an early age. I took the farm on when I was twenty-two uh, or twenty-three, and then my grandfather, who I was farming with, then died two years later. So I was left, um, you know, doing it on my own at, at quite an early age. Um, that is which young, isn't it? It, yeah. was, it? it was, but actually, do you know, I think actually it had its advantages because I didn't learn really a huge amount about what happened here. So I sort of had a bit of a, a, a blank sheet as far as uh, what I thought the farm should be doing. And I think that sort of helped me when it came to considering the organic option because I wasn't sort of entrenched in you know, any one system of farming. Yeah. So I think actually it was an advantage. Well, it's interesting because Helen Browning also took her farm on very young. Oh, did and I she? wonder if yeah. there are, you know, similarities in just that ability to implement a vision at a before you become old and cynical. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there is something in that. I really do. Um, and um, the other thing that's really important is when you sort of go on that sort of kind of journey, you've got to have... The right people um, to to go with you. So so the guys working in the farm or people who are connected to the farm. And I have to say they were all brilliant and they they they've just been behind everything that we've done. Yeah. Have you got much woodland on the on the farm, or is it sort of little corners, or was... it's it's mainly little corners? But um, we've also got a triple uh, SI, a site of scientific special scientific interest, Alfeeton Wood, which is uh, ancient woodland, and uh, it's uh, we coppice it. Yeah, and um, funnily enough, when I when I came here on the farm, we had eight full-time men on the farm, and there was always you know difficulty in finding them work on an arable farm in the winter, and we used to spend the winter coppicing the wood. But it's when we had log fires, uh, the farm men had log fires, and locally we sold firewood, and then suddenly that all dried up, 
but now we've got two uh, wood chip boilers on the farm. It's actually really added value to our woodland. So, so you're our, using all the the products. Yeah, on, absolutely. On the farm. I mean, that, yeah. now the the woods are very much seen as an asset. I mean, having a triple SI on your farm is an asset anyway. But actually, when you can actually um, uh, get an income for it um, uh, by 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 putting in the wood chip boilers, um, it means actually you can put that money back into the ancient woodland, which is which is fantastic. Yeah. So this is, uh, we're going towards a field that's uh, in the first year of a grass uh, clover lay. And uh, we've got our uh, lambs on that we kept, our female lambs we kept uh, from last year's lamb crop uh, to build up our sheep flock. What was behind the decision to reintroduce sheep? Okay, so we had a relatively short rotation. And uh, I believed actually that it was quite an exploitative rotation and I felt we really needed to uh, extend our lay period. So actually having chatted with uh, Mark Measures from the Organic Research Centre, we did a, a nutrient budgeting um, uh, exercise and um, having a two-year lay really actually made a huge difference to the fertility of our rotation. Um, but at that stage, we didn't have any livestock on the farm, so I realised that you know we're going to have all these lays that we're going to have to do something with. Yeah. So I looked at various options. We looked at cattle. Uh, we're going to look at a suckler herd, which is what I I really sort of wanted to do to start off with. But actually, that's a with a, a, a stockless farm with cattle on. I mean, you've got to put in proper fences, water, uh, baling straw, and put up a building to house them in the winter. So sheep really was the sort of natural thing for us because they just roam around the farm. They're all on electric fencing. Uh, and we sort of considered uh, all the breeds and we knew that we wanted something that was going to be fairly extensive, something that we could look after itself, lamb outside. We didn't want to be feeding them concentrates. Yeah. Um, and so in the end, we, we plumped for the, the New Zealand Romney. Yeah. And the reason for that is because, you know, they've got good feet, um, they, they have a good sort of resistance to worms, and we had our first crop of lambs last year. They all lambed outside. Um, only one needed help, and my shepherd wrote in his, his book, help you number, whatever it was, probably didn't need to. So <laughs> I, I think they've been a huge success. And um, what I'm really excited about is that, you know, we are really... Rather than, it was interesting, when at the beginning you asked me if I saw myself as an arable farmer or a livestock farmer. And actually, you know, on this farm, you know, the, the sheep, I see them as an integral part of what we're doing on the arable side of the farm. And also, you know, when we're, we're planning sort of where our lays are going, also, also the, um, the sheep, you know, it, 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 it's, it's like a really lovely balance that we're sort of striking between the arable and the livestock enterprise. And, and it's getting, you know, we've got a part-time shepherd to talk to our arable manager and actually seeing them work out how the sheep are sort of going to move around the farm. It just brings a different dynamic. And also the other thing is that, you know, having lots of different income streams on a farm, especially, you know, in an organic rotation, you know, just sort of spreads the risk of everything. Yeah. Um, you know, in the old days, you know, if we had a crop failure or we had too many weeds in, in a, a part of the the farm you know we just had to either mow it and lose the crop but now we can actually you know uh, put it into haylage and we can feed it to our sheep so and you know the other day we were cleaning some of our oats and there were some screenings out of the oats in the old days you know we would have either tipped them and burnt them and now they're going to the sheep yeah. so it all you know i just don't know why i didn't do it years ago <laughs> I have to say, I've, I've got a sneaking suspicion 
uh, why you know livestock farmers are able to go through years of low prices. Uh, because actually, you know, once you've had animals on the farm, uh, I, I find it very difficult to get rid of them, yeah. I have to say. Um, because uh, I've been looking at a static landscape for a very long time, and now we're looking at a moving one. Right. Yeah. And at the moment, we're looking at quite a large field. There's still the sort of remains of the stubble from last year's crop. Yeah. I'm guessing it was under the same. And the, and if the sheep are quite a distance away. How many have you got there? You... There's in in uh, there's about 170, just over 170. And I think actually, do you know, this is the other really exciting thing about um, sheep. So in here we've got um, some overwinter stubble, which was was um, uh, spring barley last year, which we undersowed with a grass, clove uh, and herbal lay. And and so the great thing about this, this is providing food for the sheep on the stubble. Um, the sheep are also eating some of the weeds as well, yeah. but uh, we've got a huge amount of overwinter stubble, which is, you know, for winter birds. Yeah. And, you know, if we walk across this field now, uh, you know, we will, skylarks will be getting up around our feet. And, and you know, it's, um, interestingly, there's been some sort of press stories recently, you know, about, you know, mechanical weeding damages, you know, ground nesting birds. Well, do you know, if you are going out intensively mechanically weeding, you probably can, you know, damage some ground nesting birds. But in my view, we've had bird surveys done on this farm. And in the year that we had our survey done, they found, in the quadrant they measured, they found 221 skylarks. The other largest flock they saw compared to that was on the, the Suffolk coast, which was between 200 and 220. So some of those would have been migratory. And the only proximate farm they had to hear, which was a, a non-organic farm, they found 90. So my feeling is that, OK, mechanical weeding disturbs a few ground nesting birds. But when you start up, when you've been building up a huge stock of birds because you've been farming in a different way, um, actually... If you're losing one or two, that's absolutely fine. It's the, it's the end result which is important, yeah, yeah. which is many more birds on an organic farm. And they don't mind then the sheep sort of trampling through? I've never asked them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, I think they're pretty wily, those skylarks. Yeah. So talk through your rotation with me then. You, you've got your two-year lay. Yeah, so we've got a two-year grass clover lay. Uh, well, actually, part of it's about a grass clover lay, and then part of it we just have as a diverse clover mixture. So that's more more about actually pollinators rather than the sheep. Uh, as we build the sheep flock up, maybe we'll change that around a bit. But at the moment, we have around about 120 hectares of grass clover lay, and then about 80 hectares of pollen and nectar lays. Uh, we can later on um, uh, put our lambs on the on the sort of rich pollen and nectolators, mainly clover, to fatten them. Yeah. Uh, but that's essentially, so we have two years of those two mixes. Then we grow either winter wheat or spelt. The uh, winter wheat goes to feed organic pigs, and the spelt goes straight into the human food chain. We sell that to Sharpen Park. Yeah. And then year three, we go back to a spring crop to try and break you know, the sort of weed cycle and the disease cycle. Uh, and we go into spring oats, which go to uh, white oats in no Northern Ireland. Uh, and then we grow uh, usually uh, beans for feed, which also go to feed organic pigs. And then the last crop is barley, which can either be malting barley or it can be feed barley, again, to feed organic livestock. Um, but what we've really uh, found that we've had to do since we started farming organically, in the old days, non-organically, we would just sell it to a merchant, but have no idea where it ended up. It would just disappear in the lorry. And actually, bizarrely, you know, sometimes you had to 
remind yourself that you are actually growing food, not just as a commodity that just disappeared off the farm. So you, now um, you know, or seem to know, yeah. exactly where yeah. everyone... Are you growing each of them on contract? We, we don't put anything in the ground without a contract. Yeah. And actually also knowing roughly what we're going to get uh, paid per tonne for it. And the reason for that is because... Um, you know, the organic market is small, and so you have to find your buyers, and you have to build a relationship with your buyers. Um, in Certainly in the animal feed market, we suffer, uh, uh, or, or we have to compete with imports. And um, so that's very difficult. So we have to really focus on buyers who are really keen on buying UK-produced wheat. Um, and so, so we really focus on that. And actually, we, you know, through um, Organic Arable, which is a, a farmer-owned um, combinable crop buying group, uh, we've developed those markets with Organic Arable, and it's, it's just absolutely essential. Um, and, you, and you find you're getting commitment from certain... I increasingly so. I think that, you know, people... I mean, if you think about it, organic food generally is sold as a high-end product uh, wherever it is. And, and, and I think, you know... If you're dealing with imports, now I, I'm, I'm sure that they are as exactly how, as they should be, but if you can just shorten those food chains, actually meet the farmers you're buying from, uh, it, it, it builds much more trust and integrity into the system. So we're walking across now towards the two, is it two fields of permanent pasture well, no, we, here? We've got, we've got actually um, uh, about 25 hectares of permanent pasture, which is it's a reasonable amount, but it's not a huge amount. We really do rely on electric fencing for the for, to keep the sheep in. And I have to say that they, uh, you know, we've never had a problem with them getting out, uh, right. which has been brilliant. But in the first year when we had a first crop of lambs, we did land them on this uh, permanent pasture because it's got proper fencing. Um, but next year they're going to be lambed outside um, on, on electric fencing, so hopefully they'll, they'll still be fine. Right. Um, I think the other thing that's really... Um, Interesting about the, the so we don't we haven't fed any uh, concentrates to our sheep at all. They've all in the winter they get the grazing we've got and they also get haylage, and that's the other thing that you sort of start realising is of course you know the, the there are times a year uh, the year where you are um, you've got this sort of massive dearth of growth when in the summertime you know in the form of of, of haylage and we we make the haylage and then of course you take all that sunshine and carbon that's sort of been put into that locked up and the thing yeah. and then give us your sheep over the winter, they eat it, and then sort of recycle that stuff at a totally different time of the year yeah. over the rest of your farm. And it's sort of about, that was the major driver with having the livestock, was trying to sort of close that sort of nutrient gap, but also to be able to use the growth of grass, you know, in those sort of summer months where everything else is sort of dying off as far as the, uh, you know, the harvest is concerned, and actually just sort of conserving all that fantastic carbon and then putting it back through the sheep and then back onto the land without actually having to use any yeah. tractor yeah, fertiliser yeah. spray. And are, are the Romneys also suited to finishing on you getting up to the right weight on without concentrates or do well, you think do you know, any breed we, will do we, it? Do you know, the, the funny thing is that it goes back to if you've never done it before uh, you can take a, a sort of a, you're looking at an open book. So everyone said uh, you've got to give your, your, your lambs concentrates, you've got to you know, put these creep feeders out and so on and so forth. But actually when we realised that how good our pastures were, actually we just didn't need to do it. I mean, 
A lot of our lambs went straight, when we weaned them off the ewes, they went straight to the butchers. I mean, they just grew incredibly well. And I think actually what, and that, this is the exciting thing about having sheep in an arable rotation, because most of the information you get about sheep, I discovered, were from people who were putting their sheep on pretty poor grass. So in the yeah. uplands or it was uh, in, in sort of rough stuff. Uh, but we're putting our... our um, sheep on these fantastic fertility building lays with loads of protein in the clover in there and so i think we're just a totally different situation so i'm really glad that we said no we're going to try it for one year see if it works um rather than just sort of you know start if you off started that. on that yeah. you'd have never exactly you'd have just assumed that you so had to I, yeah. I think that you know i'm just you know hugely grateful that we we were sort of braved it and did that uh the, the only downside i would say with sheep is that you know as far as building Organic matter is concerned. Yeah, see, there's oh, a there's sky. One. Yeah. We've got a sky <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, is that sheep nibble everything very close? Yeah. And 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 actually, the rule of thumb is that if they've nibbled it very close to the um, the surface, then the roots aren't going to be sort of massive. Whereas if uh, you could grow a nice tall sward and then put some cattle on it, uh, who are going to sort of be being able to deal with that longer sward and also trampling it into the ground, I think probably that would be better. Apart from the fertility, one of the things you mentioned, uh, one of the advantages of bringing the sheep back was, was weed control. You, have you been involved in field lab looking at that, haven't you, I think? Yeah, we did. We did a, um, a grazed blackgrass uh, field lab, which was just really putting the sheep onto a wheat field with blackgrass in to see if they actually had any effect on the uh, numbers of blackgrass ears. And we found actually that they did. Uh, they, they didn't have an effect that you would say they're going to overcome uh, the problem of black grass on the farm, but it is certainly a tool out of all the tools that we have to control any weed. So I think that it's going to be sort of an opportunistic thing where you have a, 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 a spring where you can get some sheep onto the uh, the growing crop, they are going to do something to the black grass population. But, you know, to deal with any weed, it's always a whole range of methods you have uh, in your armoury to deal with that, and the sheep will just be one. But it's one that we didn't have before. Yeah. So it's, it's, I guess it's part of that diversity again, isn't that resilience? It's adding another exactly. level of complexity exactly. that we weeds have to deal with just as anything else has to deal a with. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, and also the other thing is, is that, you know, it's just uh, that opportunistic grazing thing, you know, just gives you the ability to to get a little bit, little bit of free forage. I mean, what we also notice with the grazing is that you know, even though the sheep didn't increase the yield of the crop, uh, they didn't decrease it. And so, you know, that's free grazing. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 And are you monitoring the any improvements in soil health yeah. or, or? Yeah. So we did. Matter? We did. We do um, soil health tests on four fields. We did the whole farm is soil tested, but a basic soil test for phosphate, potash. Um, 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 manganese and uh, it's pH so every field on the farm is done every four years yeah. but we have indicator fields that we test every single year to look at their soil health so when we started our conversion in 1999 uh, that autumn uh, we did a soil health test and our organic matter was 2.9% uh, and then 17 years later it's 5.5% 
So I think in a relatively That's short period of time, you know, we've had a significant yeah. uh, rise in organic matter. And I have to say that actually is with still using pretty traditional sort of cultivation techniques and ploughing is in that, yeah. uh, in that mix. I mean, my belief is that, you know, if you are using lays you are we we put green manures in whenever we can and so beforehand we were just growing crops but now we're sort of interlacing our crops with any kind of sort of fertility building or green manure sort of type of situation then you know you're going to build up the organic matter and uh i i, I personally think that because it, they were so depleted that we had a pretty quick response as in over those 17 years I'm not sure that it's going to go up much higher than that, and I'm not sure that we want it to go up much higher than that. But if you could um, maintain that... Yeah, if we and could maintain that, it would be fine. And you haven't been uh, adding farm manure or uh, no. green waste compost or anything? No, other. We, 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 we have actually had the odd bit of um, farm yard, organic farmyard manure, um, but to be honest, it's, it's, it's few and far between. We don't rely on it. So somebody has some, um, we can go and pick it up, we'll do that, but yeah. no. So we, that's, that's purely from, from lays and cover crops? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we have also used a bit of compost in the past, but generally we, we don't. Uh, it's, it, it, to my mind, it's got too much plastic in it, and I don't like putting the plastic on the farm. Now, should we go? Should we? Should we walk up here towards our feet and wood, and then round or what? Would you like to and then we can walk back along that hedge, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah. good. Sun sinking down a bit behind the trees, and you've still got hedges. We've got a lot of hedges. Yeah, we've got a lot of hedges, and um, part of the farm actually is on an old disused airfield. Um, it was an American bomber base during the war. And all the hedges are removed, so it's 500 acres of everything just being oh. completely ripped out. Woods, hedges, houses, it took everything down, yeah. About seven, seven or eight cottages were taken down. A great big 15th century farmhouse was just flattened. Uh, and we've, we've, we've um, sown many kilometres of new hedges on that farm and also planted back the woodlands as well. And, uh, you know, the, the, but these hedges are... I would have been here since the medieval times. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we, we love our hedges. So very nice. Following a track along the hedge, you've got a ditch and a hedge, and then on the left, uh, fairly recently cultivated. No, that, that actually, well, we, this is something actually we're trying to get away from. We are uh, on a clay soil, it's quite difficult. Traditionally, uh, we've been a, an autumn cropping farm. Um, but now we half crop in the spring and the autumn just to try and get as much diversity into what we're doing to spread the risk of anything not doing yeah. uh, too well. And um, one of the things that traditionally on this clay soil you do is you would cultivate it before Christmas. So you would then get a frost on it yeah. to give you, uh, to break up the topsoil. It is a lovely soil. It is a great soil. And, um, and, um, and then uh, you would then sow your, your spring crop. But we're trying to leave our stubbles in for longer because, yeah. uh, and we're trying to stop doing so much deep cultivation because even though you know, we built up our organic matters, I still think we can improve on what we're doing and that is something we're trying to, trying to stop doing. Yeah. So one of the things I've heard you talk about before is trying to get away from some of the deeper cultivations and, and perhaps even cultivating at all you yeah. know and, and that, yeah. that's hard 
uh, an organic system where you can't rely on a herbicide to to kill the crop off. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're we've been uh, we've formed a group of farmers under uh, the Innovative Farmers uh, scheme, uh, and it's driven by Anglia Farmers, which is a farming cooperative in Norfolk. And um, we're looking at sort of reduced use of, of, of glyphosate. That's the actual title of the of the the project. Um, but we obviously don't. We can't use glyphosate and don't want to use it. Uh, and so we're looking at uh, terminating cover crops um, with a crimper roller or a mower, rather than using a herbicide. And that with the and, and the aim of that is then to go in and not. Uh, till at all, it's it's, it's go directly uh, in with a uh, crop, and so it's straight into the soil. And how how does a crimperola work then? So the crimperola is it 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 terminates the cover crop by bruising the stems, uh, and then therefore killing it. But the the difficulty is, is that uh, the, the the most sure way of killing the the uh, cover crop is uh, by letting it get to anthesis. So it's, it's flowering, it's been through its life cycle, it's exhausting itself trying to get to its last sort of reproductive phase. But hasn't actually produced the seed. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, very important. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A viable seed anyway. And, and at that point, if you put a crimper roller, which is um, it's a basically like a bruising sharp edge that sort of rolls over the thing and, and, and bruises with a sharp edge at several points up the stem of the cover crop. And, and, and that should kill it. And, and, and you know, people have been doing this uh, in America uh, successfully for a number of years. Uh, and we are trying it here. I'm slightly worried about two things in the way that, obviously, in America, they're doing it in a continental climate. They've got some nice hot conditions when they want to kill the cover crop. You know, we get quite a bit of rain. Uh, and the other thing is just finding a crop that will reach anthesis at a time where you actually want to be sowing your next crop. So there are challenges, but again, you know, you've, uh, you've just got to work out how you're going to do it. There will be a way of doing it, and we've just got to, to find out how we do it. And the great thing about the innovative farmers thing is that you just get to work with a lot of other enthusiastic farmers as well as uh, a researcher. And so, you know, you know, if you're going to find a way to do it, that's how you're going to do it. And have you have you started that this year? Have you had a go yeah. at it? Then? No, no, or we haven't. No, we, in fact, we've got a meeting tomorrow, and uh, we are finalising the trials. And what we're doing here, which is slightly different to everyone else, is we're going to be sowing our cover crops uh, before harvest in the standing crop when the crop just before the ear comes out to try and get our cover crops in as early as possible to see if we can get the crop to anthesis by sowing it within the preceding crop. Um, we also, we're looking at uh, the possibility of a crimper roller, but also we're also looking at the possibility of just mowing it rather than using a crimper roller. And uh, presumably there's then a risk of regrowth from mowing? Or, or uh, well, I suppose it depends on the, on the cover crop. I think that's the whole thing. Is that, you know, this is the learning curve. It's actually working out. So if you've got a very, uh, you know, a sort of a woody stemmed, um, something that doesn't tiller, for example, like a, a mustard plant or uh, maybe a phacelia or buckwheat, and, and, and you mow that. Uh, but the, the, the crux of this thing is that the reason for the cover crop, it then provides a mulch to stop weeds from coming through. Yeah. And uh, the downside with the mower, I think, will be, will, will it actually put a nice even mulch over the entire soil surface so that 
it, 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 it'll be like a mulch to stop weeds coming through. Because certainly that's what a crimper roller does. It rolls yeah. it down flat in front of the the drill, the, so your, your cedar. Uh, so, you know, there's lots of things to get right here, but, you know, we've just got to start on this thing and uh, and just try all these different things and see what works best. Yeah, yeah definitely. And we come full circle. Yeah. Back to another beech wood. Um, the wood. last of the evening sun. The last of the evening sun. That's lovely, isn't it? It is. Your family's already been here for a number of generations. Is there, you, you know, is, there, is it going to continue? Um, or, or I, I just, you know, the funny thing is, is that I think I was one of the last generation of farmer's sons who we were pretty much told, you know, you are going to come back into the farm. And I sort of made a conscious effort not to um, do that to my children. So um, I, I really hope that somebody does take an interest in it. But I, I, you know, I just think that, you know, farming is going to change hugely over the next uh, 10 to 15 years. Who knows, with, you know, what's happening, you know, uh, with us sort of coming out of Europe, I just think it's going to be a very different landscape. So, um, have, you know, I think it's going to be, actually, I think it's going to be very exciting. Yeah. And I think that actually if they didn't want to come back in the farm and actually find something and actually, you know, really engage with that change... Yeah, I think that'd be quite sad. I think it's going to be very exciting. Yeah. I do. That's it for this episode. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. Thanks for listening. Until next time and our next farm walk. <laughs>